Good morning. It's my privilege to share with you from the Word of God today. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are so faithful. Thank you for um, just how you work in the world around us, how you work in our lives. And I just pray that, um, yeah, that you would encourage us this morning through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, as we continue in our summer series of the Psalms, we come to Psalm 84. Turn with me in your Bibles to this Psalm. Or if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And this is what Psalm 84 says How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are on the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, of, o Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, our shield, O God, look at the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The reading of God's word. For context, this psalm was written by the sons of Korah. When Cameron uh, preached on July 2nd, he gave a brief history of who the sons of Korah were, so I won't go over that again. This psalm celebrates a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in order to worship at the temple. It is very similar to the hymns and praise of Zion as God's special place, like Psalm 122, which is titled, Let Us Go to the House of the Lord. Although Psalm 84 especially focuses on the delight of going to worship at the temple, the purpose of singing this, this psalm is to cultivate that delight in order to open the eyes and hearts of God's people to the incredible privilege of being welcome in God's own house and to write deep into their souls the conviction that wickedness offers no reward that can even remotely compare to the joy and pleasure of God's house. This psalm is a very sweet and gentle psalm, so much that Charles Spurgeon titled it the sweetest psalm, and he actually gave it a nickname, titling it the Pearl of the Psalms. Let's look into this psalm and see what it has for us today. We'll break it into three sections, first verses 1 to 4, then 5 to 9, and lastly verses 10 to 12. Verses 1 to 4 say this, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! 
My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in the house ever singing your praise. The psalmist is reflecting and praising God for how wonderful it is to be in the presence of God. He describes his soul as longing for the courts of the Lord. It gives us a picture of a deep desire for something. We all know what that feels like. It feels to like to long for something. It's something we desperately want but feel like will never happen. It's something we have a strong desire for, almost like a craving. The psalmist says, even a sparrow finds a home there, in the Lord's courts. When you look at creation, sparrows seem insignificant. We don't notice them like other creatures, such as a great fish, great predators, or colorful birds. But the sparrow, who is just kind of plain and boring, is welcome to the presence of God and has unlimited access to God. We need to recognize that in this psalm, while there is a lot of emphasis about a physical location, the psalmist's true longing is for God. He longs to be in the temple of God because that is where the presence of God dwells. He longs to be near God. For us, it is different because of Jesus' death and resurrection and the fact that as Christians we have the Holy Spirit with us at all times. We don't need to go to a building to be in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16-17 says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Hebrews 4, 14-16 says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And finally, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 12 to 13 says this, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. As a Christian, being in the presence of God is the best place we can be. Now on to the second section. Verses 5 to 9 say this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are to the highways of Zion, as they go to the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield. O God, look on the face of your anointed. Verse 5 states that the fact 
the fact that blessed are those whose strength is in God and whose heart are to the highways of Zion. This statement is very different from what we would he- hear from the culture today. One of the most common praises we hear nowadays is just follow your heart. You do you. However, <clears throat> this is not true. Psalm 84 has no room for this kind of nonsense. True joy, it insists, comes from God and not an internal compass. Pilgrimage in the Old Testament was obligatory, as stated in Deuteronomy 16.16. Three times a year, all males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. However, Psalm 84 gives the impression that these people actually wanted to go. It wasn't something that they felt was a burden, and their strength was, is in God to keep them going. This was not an obligatory trip. The location of the Valley of Baca is unknown. However, it have, seems to have been a dry place, a difficult place. The psalmist uses rain in a dry land as a picture of the blessing that follows those who long to draw near to God. As they travel, God blesses them and increases their strength. Verse 7 goes on to say that these pilgrims go from strength to strength, basically saying they are finding new levels of strength for the journey until each one appears before the God of Zion. The passage takes an interesting turn. It's almost like he had like a, oh, this is a good thought. Uh, for, the, for verses 8 and 9, as the psalmist prays for the king, not only does the king protect the pilgrims, but he is called to represent Israel before God to model faithfulness for the whole people and thus keep the whole people securely serving God. This section gives us a good picture of where we should draw our strength from. Now, now on to the third section, verses 10 to 12. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one that trusts in you. The psalmist makes a few interesting statements in these few verses. The first statement, he says that just one day in the courts of God is better than a thousand elsewhere. He knows that just one day in the courts of God is better than anything the world could offer. The second statement he makes is that he would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. He recognizes that the worst job that God could offer is still far better than the devil's best. The third statement he makes is that the Lord is a sun and a shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor. The descriptions of God in this verse remind us of God's love and power. He is the light in the dark, the sun, and the source of peace and protection, the shield. 
And the fourth statement he makes is that God doesn't withhold from those who walk uprightly, and blessed is the one who trusts in God. As I reflected on this passage, and three points of application stuck out to me that were encouraging, challenging, and convicting. They are, do we desire to be in the presence of God? Is God the source of my strength, and do we trust God? We will look at them in that order. The first point of application, do we desire to be in the presence of God? As a Christian, this seems like a strange thought. We've, and maybe a silly question. We have given our lives to Jesus, we've claimed him as our Lord and Savior, and then the thought is, is he our, do I really desire to be in his presence? I think often we can say all the right things, however our hearts are present elsewhere. There's many, many things where we could be present instead of in the presence of God. And they're all different for all of us, those temptations. How do we remove the distractions that keep us from desiring to be in God's presence? First off, prayer is critical. We cannot have a personal relationship with someone if we're not willing to communicate with them. It seems kind of obvious. And if you put, a, put that statement in a marriage context, it would seem kind of weird if someone would ask you a question about your spouse that you should know the answer to. Maybe your wife's birthday. I'm not sure. Anybody ever forget your wife's birthday? <laughs> a few chuckles. One would question how deep of a relationship you had with your spouse. It has been said that when we pray, we are talking to God. And when we read the Bible, he talks to us. When pursuing God, we need both to talk to God and to listen to God speak back. Psalm 119, verse 18 says this. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Prayer can be hard. And sometimes it may seem pointless. It can seem that God is distant and far from us. However, how we feel doesn't give us an excuse not to pursue God in prayer. Another reason that can contribute us to not desiring God's presence is a lack of repentance. Sometimes we can't sense God's presence because there is something blocking the communication between us and God. He hasn't left but our sensitivity to his presence might be affected by unconfessed sin in our lives. King David wrote in Psalm 32, verses 3 to 5, this is what he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by heat of the summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If we sense the communication has gone silent, we haven't talked to God in a while, maybe we need to approach him and confess what might be going on in our lives. 1 John 1.9 says that, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Sometimes I wonder if repentance is viewed too much in a negative light. And it's one of those things where we feel, I did something really sinful. I did something really bad that it almost, we almost think it affects our salvation or that we will get severely punished. And it's fear-based. Instead, I think repentance should be viewed as a consistent discipline that is more viewed in the light of sanctification. We're commanded in, when Paul uh, instructs us how to take communion, we are commanded to examine ourselves. And we should do that each time before we take communion. One quote I found puts it this way, the Christian who has stopped repenting has quit growing. The second point of application to consider is God the source of my strength. When the psalmist says in verse 6 that blessed are those whose strength strength is in you, what does he mean? We live in a world of self-help books that will give you many ways to muster up enough strength to face the challenging situations we all have. When I looked on Amazon for self-help books, Under top sellers for 2023 section, there were around 2,000 options. A few of the titles that stood out to me were Best Self, Be You, Only Better, and The Mountain Is You, Transforming Self-Sabotage into Self-Mastery. And many other books that had the same theme. We have coffee cup and t-shirt slogans that will say things like, Everything is within your power, and your power is within you. Or, I found an inner strength to fight for myself. It was clear nobody else would. Or, you are the master. Only you have the master keys to open the inner locks. These types of slogans and book titles are actually quite depressing. They are suggesting that the strength that we need to survive has to come from ourselves. That we are actually in control of everything and we just have to dig deep to find it. What does the Bible say about strength? According to the Bible, what strength we have is not our own. It ultimately comes from God. As we read in Jeremiah 9, 23, 24, it says, Thus the Lord says, thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. No matter how strong we think we are, the flesh is still weak. Mark 14, 38 says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Left to ourselves, we fall into temptation and fail any worthy endeavor. The weakness inherent in human nature is why the Bible commends us to the strength of the Lord. Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. As we learn to rely on God's strength instead of our own, we are strengthened. Habakkuk 3.19 says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet feel like the deer's. He makes my, me tread on my, on my high places. Our strength is found in Christ, in our having a vibrant and dynamic relationship with him. In, it is Christ that empowers us to do whatever is necessary to accomplish God's will. A very well-known Bible verse that is often used, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There is no other source, no self-will, that gives man the strength to overcome the world with its trials and temptations. Those who rely on God's strength from day to day will find in him never-ending strength. As God's children, we are strengthened by his grace. Hebrews 13.9 says, Do not be led, led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We are strengthened by time spent in prayer. Luke 18, verse 1 says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And we are strengthened by the promise that God will reward our efforts. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We all grow weary, and sometimes it seems daunting to carry on. Life is hard. God might seem absent. And we're just, it's just not turning out the way we had hoped. And Isaiah 40, 31 encourages us this way. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The third point of application, do we trust in the Lord? This is a two-part process. On one hand, it means trusting God, Jesus and believing in him for salvation. We believe who he is, God in human form, and we put our faith in him for salvation. We believe who he is. We believe what he has done for us that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. Since we cannot save ourselves, we trust in Jesus to save us. John eleven twenty five says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though, yet, though he die, yet shall he live. We cannot receive eternal life and live in the presence of God until we've trusted him in Jesus as Savior and accepted his forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And then the second part of trusting in Jesus means committing our lives entirely to him. When we are born again, we become followers of Jesus Christ. As his disciples, we put complete confidence in him and his word. Our trust in Jesus grows and deepens as our relationship with him matures as we see God working in all things in our lives, not just the good, but in the bad and the ugly as well. 
Romans 8.28 says, And for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Jesus wants us to live by faith in him. And I'm sure as many of us would agree, the Christian life becomes a testing and training ground in trust. We think we just, just went, got through one hard situation and then here comes another one. And we have to trust. James 1, 2-4 says, Count it all joys, my brother, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus said in John 14, 1, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. When things get hard and difficult, doubts can pop up and we can start thinking, can I actually trust him or am I going to do this on my own strength? And like Stanley mentioned last week, often when we try to do it of our own strength, we make it worse. Throughout our Christian life, Jesus teaches us to trust him in everything so that our faith becomes deeply rooted and unshakable. Speaking from personal experience, there have been situations that have been difficult that have caused me to wonder if he is there, Jesus is there. Where trusting him was the only option and those experiences have deepened my relationship with him. As we learn to trust him more and more, our confidence in him deepens. This, I would say, is a lifelong thing. In conclusion, as we close this time, I hope you're encouraged. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to make Jesus king of your life and begin this journey of being a follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to trust him, even when nothing makes sense and he feels far away and absent. Trust him. Trust his word. You will face challenges and hard things in this world. However, Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus is our strength. Tap into that. Don't do it off your own strength, even though your plan to get out of a hard situation might seem more logical than God's. Seek his presence. View it as a beautiful thing to be able to, to be in the presence of the one who made you, the one who died for you. Pursue him with all your heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I pray that, um, that yeah, that your word would have encouraged us this morning, um, that you would draw us closer to you, that we would desire to be in, in your presence, and that is where our heart's desire would be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.